Hey, Pastor Darry, what are we talking about this weekend? Well, we're talking about uh, that Matthew 7 passage where Jesus actually makes reference to the idea that sometimes we see the little faults in other people and we miss like the big faults in our own lives. He likens it to seeing a, a speck in someone else's eye when we don't even see the plank in our own. So Pastor Christie's going to help us. And uh, Are you ready for this this yeah, weekend? Yeah, I think so. I think I'm ready. All right. Hi. Hey, Christy. Hi. Hi. Oh, before we get started, is my hair okay for this taping? Yeah, is it your look... hair's all right. How about my makeup? Uh, yeah, um, makeup is, is fine. Oh, good, um, good. There is, okay. there is one pretty significant challenge I've got. Really? To... I feel kind of embarrassed. In fact, not only embarrassed, I've got to tell you, I mean, sort of grossed out, really. G-R-O-S. I mean, oh, can you tell me what it is? It is disgusting. Disgusting. Have you not noticed it? Do you not carry a mirror or anything? Because I mean, we're a filming mirror? here for Does Timberline. somebody have a, mini- a mirror for me? No, it's it's in your teeth. It's, it's in my teeth. There's broccoli okay. in your teeth. Broccoli. We're okay, talking I like the Safeway produce department okay. in there. Okay. Which over, can you tell me? Which on the right hand side? On the okay. right hand side. On, no, that's the left. On, oh, that is. Uh, whichever okay. way it is, it doesn't okay, matter. Okay, so that, stage right or stage okay. right. That's it. Uh, there it is. Okay. I thanks. think I, I think you did. I get it. I think you got it. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, for telling me about that. That could be really embarrassing if I was on tape with broccoli hanging out of my teeth. Oh no, no, no problem. Good morning. The things we do, huh? Well, it's great to see you. I hope that you uh, had a, a great Thanksgiving. Uh, forgive me, those of you that have heard me say this. I have to say this every year because people ask me out in the hall. They did last weekend and they have this weekend. They, they always ask, uh, how do we celebrate Thanksgiving in England? <laughs> it would be really rude to do that. They'd be thanking God we got rid of you, and that would not be good. <laughs> but I like to be culturally sensitive, and so I, I ate the turkey, and it was, but not pumpkin pie. How many of you like pumpkin pie? God bless your hearts. <laughs> what are you thinking? It's a vegetable. What are you doing putting whipped cream on vegetables? Sick people. Anyway, I hope you had a great weekend. We're going to continue this King of the Hills series. And uh, this morning we're looking at the title, Here Comes the Judge. And we are uh, hearing the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 and verse 1. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I had a really embarrassing experience this week. I can tell you're surprised. Uh, I had to go back to Oregon for some tests. I mentioned them last week. Everything came out fine. My doctor said I'm normal, which I'm really encouraged about. And uh, I went back, I went to uh, Oregon, but I obviously had to to go to Denver Airport. And I was kind of weary and a little tired. And I went to uh, United Check-In at uh, Denver Airport. 
And the lady uh, behind the counter, she said, where are you going today, Mr. Lucas? And I said, I am going to Denver. <laughs> it's absolutely true. And uh, she said, sir, where are you going today? I said, I'm going to Denver. Denver. And she said, sir, we are in Denver. I said, oh yeah, I knew that. Just testing. Um, I'm going to Portland. And God bless her. She, uh, she treated me like I really was normal, even though uh, I didn't know where I was or where I was going. Sometimes I look around our culture and I think that our economic problems and challenges are just the surface of it all, that actually we are a culture with deeper issues We don't really know where we are and we don't really know where we're going. We are lost in a relativist fog where truth is relative. If it's true for you, then that's great, but it doesn't have to be true for me. We are somewhat marooned on a postmodern island where the trend is that we be moral jellyfish who never say that's right or that's wrong. We just, we just go with the flow. And the results of this, it's, it's coming from academics. Professor Richard Dawkins, the uh, militant evangelistic atheist who wrote the book The God Delusion, uh, he says in that book, and I quote, In our universe there is no design, no purpose, no good, no evil, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And that, that academic statement is being picked up in popular culture. A recent song from Travis says there is no wrong, there is no right, the circle only has one side. It all sounds highly fashionable and trendy, but it, stop and just, in, just think for a moment about the implications if there's nothing wrong and nothing right. It means that the Holocaust was okay. It means that the terrible crime that's been inflicted is no longer a terrible crime because there is no wrong, there is no right. It means that we shouldn't have any justice, no courts of law, because there is no wrong, there is no right. In fact, Tolstoy, the Russian writer, interpreted the Sermon on the Mount literally like that, that we should not have any law courts or the prisons would be emptied because the rapist is not a rapist, the murderer is not a murderer. You You wouldn't discipline your children and teach them good and bad behavior. No such thing. You wouldn't worry about who you left your children with because it doesn't matter about a background check because there's no such thing as abuse. You'd marry anyone who asked you, whatever their background, because after all, you shouldn't judge, now should you? In fact, in a recent Barner survey, only one third of Americans believe that truth is absolute and unchanging. And by the way, in Europe, it's worse. See, we're living in this kind of tolerance-addicted, live-and-let-live culture. And for that reason alone, it is absolutely vital that we examine with great care the words of Jesus, judge not that you be not judged. Because... These are words that are perhaps the most misinterpreted, misquoted words in the entire Bible. Anytime someone says, I think that's wrong, someone jumps up and says, judge not that you be not judged. It is obvious from Scripture 
that Jesus is not calling us to suspend all judgment. In fact, life is full of judgments. When I pulled into the parking lot today, I had to turn left from Timberline Road. And I made a judgment that I had plenty of time as that car came towards me. I had plenty of time to get across the road into the parking lot. And may I just say, if you are the driver of that car, may God bless you and may you be a forgiving soul. I appreciate that. Life is full of judgments. I make a judgment about how I wear my hair. Not all judgments are correct. I know that. The Bible is loaded with the call to judge when disputes arise between believers. 1 Corinthians 6 says, appoint some arbiters to make judgments about that. The local church has to make judgments about the moral conduct of its leaders. We make judgments when we appoint, when we appoint elders and deacons. You are called to judge what I'm saying now. Don't, just, don't you dare just swallow it wholesale because someone behind a plexiglass pulpit says it, we are to evaluate what is said against God's word. We make judgments. Is it true? And so it is very clear that Jesus is not saying don't make any judgments. What he is saying clearly is don't be judgmental. There were Pharisees in the crowds. They had PhD level judgmentalism. They were good at it. So what's the difference between judging and being judgmental? Well, first of all, a judgmental person is, as one commentator says, censorious. They love to catch people out. They enjoy it when they find someone doing something vaguely naughty. They just love that. They look for trouble. Jude 16 uh, in the NIV uses a phrase, it talks about fault finders. Judgmental people are fault finders. Why do they find fault? Because they're always hunting for it. They get up in the morning on a mission from God to be irritated. Uh, last week on the airplane, uh, I met perhaps, perhaps one of the rudest men I've ever met in my life. And uh, as we were going out of Denver, I'm just kind of hoping that he doesn't attend Timberline because I've just made him famous. Uh, he, was, he, was, he got on the plane mad. He threw his bag into the overhead baggage compartment. He sat down next to me, grabbed the seat belt, and he started complaining. He called the flight attendant, who apparently is responsible for the weather conditions in the earth. So this plane is late. She said, sir, it's, we're waiting for clearance. It's the weather. It's not good enough. I'm thinking, what do you want her to do? Speak to the clouds? But I didn't say that because I don't want to get slapped. <laughs> the coffee was too cold. The coffee was too hot. I want two meals, not just one meal. I don't like this seat. Why can't I hear the pilot's communication with the tower? Complain, complain, complain. It just went on forever. In fact, between us. <laughs> it was just between us. One of the flight attendants came up to me and knelt down beside me. She said, sir... You are sitting next to one of the rudest men on earth. I said, I know that. She said, would you like to move? We could put you in another seat. And I, again, I, I didn't. There was nothing noble, noble about that. I knew if I'd said yes and got up, I, I knew he'd slap me again, you know. So, 
Something else happened, by the way, on that flight. If you're good, I'll tell you about it at the end. <laughs> Fault finders. You know, you're irritated right now because I didn't tell you the story about the guy on the plane. <laughs> by the way, racial prejudice is part of judgment. When we make judgments about people from a different ethnic background, racism is not just a social issue, it's a kingdom issue. It just amazes me. I was talking to someone last week. They said, yes, he was a very pious Christian, but he didn't like, and then they described this particular ethnic background. How is it that we can think that holiness could actually embrace racism? And for the judgmental person, it's kind of, everything is black and white. It is, you either do it their way or no way. In fact, when it comes to the way that we behave as Christians, there are different views about different things. Romans chapter 14 talks about disputable matters. And so one person's conscience will allow them to do something that maybe another person might not. And it's not an absolute statement of Scripture or a, a standard that's set out in the Bible. But for the judgmental person, uh, that doesn't exist. It's just my way or, or no way. So... So what can we learn as we, we think about judgmentalism? First of all, if you're following along in the bulletin, first of all, being judgmental is disastrous for both now and eternity. Being judgmental is disastrous for both now and eternity. Verse 2, Jesus says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, Jesus was quoting a popular rabbinic proverb when he made this statement. The rabbis believed that God had two measuring cups, one containing mercy and another one containing judgment. And so Jesus uses that idea and he says, as you judge, so you will be judged. Now, let's understand that there are two sets of implications to that. One is eschatological and the other one is social. Eschatological, by that I mean one has got implications for the end times and the final judgment. In a way that Jesus does not describe and therefore is somewhat mysterious, he makes it clear that the way that we judge others will have some bearing on the way that God will respond to us when he evaluates our lives. I don't understand that. I don't know how that works out and it's not explained so I'm not going to speculate. But there is some future eschatological implication. But there's a social implication as well. It's very clear, particularly when you look at the parallel passage to this in Luke chapter 6, that Jesus is also teaching that what you give in relationships is what you're going to get back. And so Luke 6, do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive, you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is saying, look, if you want to know mercy, then give mercy. You ever met Christians that they say, I'm praying for a friend. I'm asking God to give me a friend. And you think, you think to yourself quietly, if you be a little nicer, you might get one. 
Because a friend doesn't just come crashing through the ceiling like a car in a TV commercial. God says, here is your friend. Friendship grows, it's developed, and it is socially disastrous to be judgmental because, frankly, people don't want to be around you. I don't want to be associated with a judgmental church that is known for ranting. I want to be a million miles from the people who show up at the funerals of deceased American service people and hold up signs, placards, that say that God hates gays. I want to be a billion miles from that kind of vitriol and rhetoric. Frankly, we're not here to discuss that other issue, but God doesn't hate anybody. And I don't want to be part of a church that rants its way to the nation. It's not what we are called to be. It is unattractive. Anyone here, come on, let's just get honest here. Anyone here, you ever seen The Simpsons? Seen The Simpsons? You know, you were flicking through looking for Christian TV. And... <laughs> I am reliably informed that in one episode of The Simpsons, Homer sees his born-again neighbour, Maud Flanders, uh, over the fence, and he greets her warmly. Hey, haven't seen you in a few weeks, Maud. Ha- where have you been? Oh, Maud cheerfully replies, I've been away at a Bible camp learning how to be more judgmental. (laughs) That's the perception that sometimes Christians have got and sometimes we earned it. Being judgmental is disastrous both now and for eternity. Are, Are we... Again, I want to repeat this, lest anyone get the wrong idea. That doesn't mean that we are not prepared to say that, according to God's word, is right or wrong. I'm not in any way implying that. I want to hammer this home. But there's a difference between judgmentalism and judgment. Are we already paying a price in our homes, in our friendships, because we are toxically judgmental? Secondly, Secondly, being judgmental can become a substitute for repentance. Being judgmental can become a substitute for repentance. Verses 3 and 4, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? I don't know how many men and maybe some women too here are good at fixing stuff. I'm useless. Just useless. Anytime I try to fix stuff when my kids were growing up, our whole family would gather in high-pitched intercessory prayer. It was just <laughs> ugly. And I was in Oregon last week for my test, so I was staying with my friends and their, their DVR broke down. And I said, fear not, for I will get behind the TV and the DVR and the DVD player and I will check the connections. Leave it to me. I mean, they watch way too much TV anyway. They don't need that. (laughs) I'm useless at fixing stuff, but I know this. There's a difference between a two-by-four and a speck of sawdust. And Jesus is using a very vivid portrait to show us that sometimes we avoid personal repentance by getting on everybody else's case. We don't feel that good about ourselves and so we become morally superior by judging others. 
And we become blinded to our own sins. I mean, what a bizarre picture. I've got a two by four in my eye, but I didn't notice. Duh! I wrecked a BMW car once. It was a friend's car. It was two years old and they'd replaced the battery. In this particular car, they put the battery in the back seat, under the back seat. Silly place for it. They replaced it with the wrong battery, so the battery post, the terminal things, were sticking up too high. Get what I'm talking about? I'm great mechanically too. I got in the back of the car, my backside hit the seat, the seat went down, the metal on the underside of the seat connected up the two battery terminals. (laughs) You know, I appreciate your compassionate, caring response. (laughs) You're good, you know. And we're driving along and the trip computer on the BMW is freaking out. Achtung, achtung, it is crying in German. (laughs) And I I, I said to my friends, I said, I said, I can smell oil. And my friend turned around and she said, that's not oil. Your backside's on fire. (laughs) I said, you know what? I feel led that we should pull over. (laughs) And we pulled over and we got out the car quickly, which went up in flames. My rear end was on fire and I didn't notice. We can do that, you know. Everybody else sees the glaringly obvious stuff in our lives, but we're oblivious. I mean, the trip computer's going, rear end on fire, rear end, no, it's not. Are we doing that? Are we trying to avoid issues? And let's just stop for a moment, let this sink. I don't, I just think we need to let God's word challenge us. Are we constantly avoiding our stuff by focusing on other people's stuff? Thirdly, thirdly, judgmental people are terrible surgeons. Judgmental people are terrible surgeons. Because Jesus says, verse 5, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Can you imagine an eye surgeon with a hunk of timber in his head? The eye is a very delicate organ. I used to wear contact lenses. I I don't anymore because I didn't enjoy poking myself in the head twice a day. And for the first month that I had contact lenses, I couldn't put them in. My eyes were too sensitive. It's kind of embarrassing this. I used to lay on the floor and my wife would put my contact lenses in for me while I looked at her with a wild, staring look. I'm so glad my wife didn't say, well, open those eyes, let's slap those babies in. No, because the eye is a delicate organ. It needs precision, it needs care. See, judgmental people with the big two-by-four, they hurt people. They damage people. I remember when I was a senior pastor, I went to lunch with this family in our church. Nice family, but mum was kind of uptight and she was upset that their 16-year-old son, John, was listening to some, some music that she didn't like. And John's sitting there, nice kid, and she said, Pastor Jeff, would you tell John 
that he needs to quit listening to this, this music. And I, I'm immediately in a moral dilemma, number one, because I don't think it's a good idea to embarrass John like that. And secondly, she was talking about one of my favourite bands. So, <laughs> now parents listen. And young people listen. Just to be clear, so you haven't got to reach for that communication card. I know that there might be music that would be a bad idea to listen to. I get that, all right? I understand that. Let's be clear. However, this was relatively neutral and I never did get around to telling him off because I didn't want to embarrass him. And, I, and secondly, I, I didn't think there was anything wrong anyway. Do you know what? John ended up walking away from God. And frankly, I think his parents wore him out. And the Bible talks about that in Ephesians and Colossians. Colossians 3. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. You see, judgmentalism hurts people. It wounds. This is not just a a vague issue that we're talking about this morning. Sir, are you damaging your family? Are you going to be pious ten years from now and pray that your kids will come back to Jesus? When, dare I say it, you might be contributing to helping them to walk away right now. Judgmentalism damages and hurts. Judgmental people make terrible surgeons. Fourthly, and finally, Jesus shows us the way to growth. And that is in true community. Look at verse 5, the second part of it. Jesus says, Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now please see this. Jesus is not saying, mind your own business, stay out of each other's lives. On the contrary, Jesus is painting a word portrait describing what true church should be. Where we do actually give permission to people to speak into our lives and help us. Timberline Church can never just be a preaching centre or a building where we gather each week to sing songs. Timberline Church has got to be about not just building a crowd, but building church. And authentic church includes us being the kind of people that others can challenge. In the kingdom of God, authority is always given, never taken. It's in the cult that authority is taken. It's in the church that authority is freely given. And what we can do is we can find trusted friends and print them a permission slip to speak into our lives. Tell me where I'm getting it wrong. Now that won't be everybody. and It won't be everybody you see in this church. Hey, how you doing? Fine. How you doing? By the way, let me just tell you. It's not going to work that way. But as we give permission to others around us, so Jesus shows us it's not about individualistically minding our own business, but building interdependent relationships where others have our express permission to speak into our lives. Ma'am, sir, can I ask you a question? Who can get into your face? Who, who can tell you? 
Who is there that will not just be mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the fairest of them all? And if you're, if you're wondering about whether you're judgmental or not, you might want to ask people around you. But give them permission to tell you the truth. And don't get mad if they do and you don't like it. People get hurt by judgmental people and they are too precious to allow us to just continue in this kind of behavior unchallenged. Well, I did tell you that I would tell you what happened on the plane. How many would quite like to know? Raise your hand. How many couldn't give a rip and just want to go to lunch? I wish I could tell you that I had an evangelistic conversation with him. That I turned to him and said, Sir, did you know Jesus can help you with your rudeness? Not the best way to approach things. Actually, what happened was, I engaged in the battle for the armrest. How many know what I'm talking about here? Now listen, there are two inches of plastic between us. An inch is his, and an inch is mine. It's mine. Step away from the armrest, sir. Do you know what? Not only did he have his arm on the armrest, but he, had, he took the whole two inches plus spillage. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, all right, this is America. I'm an outsider, but I'm a resident alien. Nanu, Nanu. <laughs> Anyone remember that? Uh, some of you are going, is that a Greek word? And the inch at the unrest of mine. Mine. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to nudge his arm. But he is steadfast, unmovable. So I thought, how can I get my inch of the armrest? This is a justice issue. So then he went to sleep, snored like a Harley. And then he lifted up his arms to yawn and stretch and I thought, this is my moment! So while he had his arms up in the air, I put my arm on the armrest. Just an inch, just an inch. I thought, I got it. Then he put his arm back down again on top of my arm. And we sat there, me and him. Like a profoundly unhappy couple. And then I realized... I had become just like him. It's my armrest. It's how wars start. It's how marriages end. When we 
Even as I sat there, <laughs> you see, I, I was feeling like the good guy. I'm the guy that the flight attendant comes to and says, effectively, you're way too nice to be sitting next to that man. And I'm the good man. But I was becoming exactly like what I was finding so unattractive in him. Over an armrest. Jesus, Jesus in this magnificent talk on the hill shows us that there's another way to live. Do not judge. Do not be judgmental. We've been singing, we've been singing this morning about the greatness of God. Think about this. God is so great that he's been able to forgive our stuff. Don't you think we should be the people who are passing grace around? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we, we bow before you this morning recognizing that being judgmental is so easy. We don't have to take a course or go to college for it. It is so easy to become that kind of person. And with disastrous results for both forever and for now. Lord, some of us today are already paying a price for our judgmentalism. We have become blinded to our own sins. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to build relationships of reality and resilience. Where we allow others to speak into our lives. This morning as we continue in prayer, I'm not going to ask for any public response today, but some of us know, don't we, that our families, our marriages, our homes, our workplaces, our friendships have been bruised by our judgmentalism. Why don't we take a moment here to talk to God about that? And ask him to change us. Our God is great. And if judgmentalism is the rut that we've been running our life in, we come to you today, Lord, and ask you to change us. We pray that the atmosphere of grace and kindness, as well as clarity, will be found in our lives. And we pause, Lord, and we pray for people that we may have wounded with anger and spiteful words. Lord Jesus, thank you that you don't call us to do better. But you call us to walk with you. And so we pray, Lord, change, change our hearts. And Lord, we pray for us as a church that we will go deeper together in you.
finally, Lord, today as we, in a few moments, we give our offerings, we thank you for the privilege of that. that This is not a collection, it is an offering. It is part of our worship. And we want to pause and pray especially today for those who are living under the shadow of a mountain of debt. And it's out of control and they don't know what to do. We pray, Lord, not only for provision, but for wisdom and for direction and for hope too. Thank you, Lord, that you have not abandoned us in challenging times, but you are with us. And so we pray especially for them. Now, Lord, as we come to give, we do so cheerfully and gladly, grateful to you, with a smile on our faces because of your goodness and grace. We bless you now. In Jesus' name. Amen.